0: And welcome to Here We Stand. I'm your regular host, Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice. It's May 22nd, and that, of course, is one of our lovely theme songs on this show. Farewell to the Crown. Who needs hereditary rulers? Self-appointed rulers who say they're our boss just because, well, their dad was the boss before them. 68% of Canadians do not want ties with the British Crown. And for those other 32% who uh, still believe in the British monarchy, well, tomorrow is, after all, Queen Victoria Day. And for all of you folks who aren't Canadians, you might wonder why we continue to celebrate Queen Victoria's birthday. Well, I've got a little thing I couldn't resist. Um, We here in the Republic of Canada do everything we can to use humor, to uh, heighten and further the struggle. So let me just share a few little tidbits about Queen Victoria. She actually was the history's biggest and most successful drug dealer. And I can hear you gasps coming from the 32% of you who still believe in the British monarchy in Canada. But uh, yes, that's true, folks. She was one of the least popular British monarchs and actually underwent six assassination attempts by her not-so-loyal subjects. And she wasn't the nicest person in the world because she actually referred to her little her children as nasty little objects, including to their faces. Well, of course, that wasn't her worst crime, despite how all those love-deprived screwed up kids of hers went on to sire the crowned heads of europe who launched the war that didn't end any war against each other in 1914 that's the behavior of abused children but anyway getting back to queen victoria her real claim to historical infamy was opium and especially the chinese opium trade because incredibly in the mid 1800s british sponsored chinese opium trade accounted for about a third of all the money rolling into the coffers of the british empire And so to keep that largesse flowing in, Queen Vicky launched two wars against those uppity Chinese people who had the temerity to try to curtail their own opium addiction that was killing off their people. Well, at one point, just like on the west coast of Canada, a big chunk of the Royal Navy showed up and started shelling the coastal villages of those uppity Chinese. So it was all for a good purpose, though. The purpose was to bring in Tons of money for Queen Victoria so she could wander those estates with her various Highlander studs. And that, of course, is why we continue to celebrate Victoria Day in Canada. Well, not anymore, of course. We renamed the day, and we're actually doing flag raisings around Canada today, as we will on July 1st, so-called Canada Day, to reclaim the day. And especially in the face of the mounting war hysteria by a few other people who think they're God and have the right to tell everybody else what to do. So, uh, speaking of monarchs, in the, in the same vein, we're talking about religious monarchs, and we have a very important announcement coming out tomorrow about the poop. Pope Francis, A.K.A. Pope Francis, his real name is Jorge Mario Bergoglio from Argentina, and he says he's coming to Canada, July twenty-fourth to thirtieth, to issue an apology for sixty thousand or more dead children. Of course, he's not going to admit to that, but that's the reference he made to the Indian residential schools, so-called. And he's going to be met with a very interesting reception because nine nations, indigenous nations, and their elders announce, and this is coming out tomorrow, they announce that they're going to not let him on their territories, and if he happens to show up, he will be arrested by them. Using the arrest warrant that was published as part of the court verdict of January 15th, where Jorge Bergoglio and a whole bunch of other people were found guilty of medical genocide in cahoots with Big Pharma. Bergoglio authorized the use of children from Catholic schools and orphanages in these murderous drug testing experiments by Pfizer and the other gangs that are working with the Chinese and other criminal bodies. And so he's under international law, can be arrested at any point. Well, the indigenous elders are acting on that. And uh, you can listen to it, actually, tomorrow there'll be a media release coming out. Go to republicofcanada.org under breaking news by, say, mid-morning, Eastern Time, or, say, noon. And there's something else that's coming with that, that too. They not only said that he will face arrest, he's banished from their territories, he'll face arrest, but they've also said they're going to claim and occupy Catholic churches, offices and property and lands, were stolen from them as reparations for genocide, and the Chilcotin National Congress in the interior part of BC, British Columbia, have announced that they are going to start that whole campaign, along with other people who are affiliated with our republic. The Chilcotin National Congress actually signed a treaty with our Republic of Canada, a mutual defense and support treaty. So these folks are acting on their belief. They're survivors of genocide. And along with that, the other good part of the announcement is that there's a Stop the Pope Coalition forming across Canada. It's going to start next week. It's going to use June and July to train people in workshops uh, and schools to teach people the facts of genocide. Then we're going to start during early to mid-July, we're going to start doing church occupations and protests, civil disobedience actions to say to Bergoglio, look, here's our power, you're going to face arrest if you show up. Now, that coalition, um, is it's no accident that Bergoglio is coming to Canada when he is, because the only place in the West he's coming is Edmonton. And if you draw a line west of that, you hit the Highway of Tears, where so many native people go missing, because China's killing them off to grab their resources, liquid, natural gas, water, hydro, etc. Well, Bergoglio's apology charade is really just camouflaged for genocide by his business partners in Beijing, who are being underwritten by the Vatican Bank. So this is a part of the whole other agenda going on, and we will be there to stop Bergoglio. So to join the Stop the Pope Coalition and to get involved and affiliate your organization to it, write to office at ProtonMail.com. Listen here every Sunday for more updates. And you can read all of the um, lawful warrants against Bergoglio and others. Just go to MurderByDecree.com under updates. January 15th. You can run off all the verdicts right there. So, like I say, this will all be posted tomorrow, republicofcanada.org under breaking news. There will be a YouTube announcement and other uh, broadcasts going out about this. And again, we urge you to get on board with this. Now, this is really declaring independence, but also it's acting on it by banning these criminals from our territory. It's a standing policy the Republic. That the Catholic, Anglican, and United churches are not allowed to operate on our territories. Their property is forfeited, like it is under international law. Proven criminal bodies can can have their property and assets forfeited by we the people. If you ever need a meeting place, occupy a Catholic, Anglican, and United church. You have the legal right to do so and take back that property because it's part of the avails of genocide. And they don't have the right under international law or the laws of Canada to operate. We the people can take them back. Now, that act of independence is something we do on the ground, and I am delighted today to have as my guest somebody who's doing that. His name's Kevin Derbyshire, and he lives in southern Ontario. Actually, it's a delight because he lives just down the road from where my ancestor, Philip Annett, lived. The Annetts emigrated to Canada in 1829 and lived in Upper Canada, and good old Philip, my great-great-great-grandfather, took up arms and try to overthrow the British crown in our aborted 1837 rebellion in Quebec and Ontario. And so it's great to know that Kevin is just down the road from the bones of my ancestors. And there's a great movement there that is affiliated with our republic, and more and more people are, are joining in our, and our movement as we link hands. And Kevin Derbyshire is with me today. He was recently arrested, uh, back in February at least, at the Trucker Convoy Bridge in Windsor, Ontario, and he's going to tell us about what happened to himself and why he's joined the Republic and all other good stuff. So here is my guest, Kevin Derbyshire. Hi, Kev. How are you?
1: Hi, not too bad, Kevin. How are you? Can you hear me all right? I
0: can hear you good, brother. And, uh, you know, I had I had a lot of uh, to say in an announcement. Oops, sorry, feedback. Um, I had a lot to announce there, but let's jump right in. Why don't you say a little bit about... What happened in February when you were arrested? Why did it happen? And tell us some about your background, who you are, and why you're with the Republic.
1: Okay, well, yeah, like you said, my name's Kevin Derbyshire, and I, uh, I'm i 41, and I have two kids and a wife, and um, I had some pretty good jobs up until this uh, pandemic happened, and uh, I, I just, uh, you know, I got it in my mind that I'm not going to let these tyrant criminals uh, take over our country and hijack our courts uh like they have and uh so i went up to ottawa the very first weekend that the trucker convoy went up there and um i couldn't make it back up for the next couple weeks so i ended up down in windsor on february 12th and february 13th and i was down there because uh, I wanted to see with my own eyes how many people show up and, how you know, what type of people are there. So I went down there with my protest sign, and uh, the one side said Crime Minister Blackface, <laughs> and the other side said Benjamin Levin. Um, so I talked to as many people as I could down there, and I just wanted to see. So uh, when I got down there, we were actually a couple blocks, from the bridge. We weren't even really close to the bridge because the police had uh, partitioned that off. So realistically, uh, there were a couple people on the bridge that had started the original protest there, but the police had had segregated all of us from being able to go near the bridge. And as far as I understood, there was still a flow uh, one lane of traffic that was able to get in and out of the bridge. So we didn't actually stop the flow of traffic there. So I went there and spoke with a lot of people and did some live stream interviews. And I ended up on the BBC doing an interview and speaking probably about all the wrong things they didn't want me to talk about, like Benjamin Levin. And I hope uh, by the end of this interview, your audience is familiar with that name and what he has done. So, Yeah, we'll definitely get into that. So what happened at the bridge? So the bridge the first day went really well. Um, There was lots of people. Everybody was, uh, you know, enjoying each other's company and sharing knowledge. And, uh, you know, uh, there were a lot of people who had legitimate concerns about uh, what was happening to this country. And uh, honestly, I thought the bridge uh, protest was a good idea because that actually hit them where they don't like being hit. And that was with their, their pocketbook, you know. Um GMC right. and Ford and uh a bunch of other pretty big auto makers in Canada, uh, you know, they were crying to the media and to whoever they could about how much money they were losing. So we were really getting they some did attention a- there. So Ottawa, yeah, they did get a cord I understand you know, too. Yeah, yeah. And so Ottawa didn't quite do that, you know. We got their attention but in a different way. So um the second day, which was February 13th, it was a Sunday, uh, I went back down there because I thought, well, I wonder how many people are going to be, you know, holding the line after, uh, you know, after the police pushed back a little bit on uh, on the day before, on the 12th. So um, it was around 1 p.m. when basically the, group, the goon squad showed up, and I have a lot of pictures of them, too. Um, there was... Um, not tank units, but these big truck units with their satellite dish on the top and uh, there were military police or police in military um, regalia or military, you know, uniforms and there was uh, police officers from all over Ontario. Um, All the front line uh, officers that were lining up across the road um, had weapons. So, Um, There was police dogs that were muzzled, and uh, like I said, I have pictures of this. And we didn't, uh, like, the feeling I got was that they were just going to kind of push us back and tell us to to get lost. But um, they did a a police um, measure called kettling, where they kettled. um, There was probably at least 80 of us that they kettled and there was 47 of us that got charged. Most of the charges were um, mischief over $5,000 and where they came up with that $5,000 is a question, but I believe it's from all the auto manufacturers complaining about how much money they lost. And then the other thing that most of us got charged with was disobeying a court order which uh, a couple days before all these protests happened, there was an emergency injunction in the Windsor Court in uh, right. the Supreme Court of Ontario that said we weren't allowed to occupy anywhere around any border crossings there, especially the Ambassador Bridge. So um, that is what 47 of us that were arrested with me Got charged with um, mischief over five thousand. You weren't
0: injunction. Oh, from what you were telling me, you didn't defy the injunction at all.
1: You were complying, right? So um, within, like, so after you know, I got back and kind of calmed down. I I downloaded the injunction, and in section eight of the injunction, it says this court orders that the respondent and other persons remain at liberty to engage in a peaceful, lawful, and safe protest that does not impede or block access to the Ambassador Bridge or approaching roadways for greater certainty to the term of this order and any applicable law uh, must be complied with. So, right there, it says we can still go and have peaceful, lawful, and safe protest, you know? So, um... And what it, I think what it, I think I what happened for was yeah. no go ahead. I understand that yeah. When the
0: when the police confronted you, they actually grabbed your sign that had the name uh, Benjamin Levin on it, ripped it up, arrested you, even though you weren't in contempt of the injunction, and held you for fourteen hours in jail without bringing in any charges. Is that is that, that accurate?
1: Is correct. Yes. Yes. So and also would not let me speak to a lawyer for at least thirteen hours. So, yeah, just the destruction of those signs kind of says a lot, too, I think. Well, then tell
0: us right now a little bit about who Benjamin Levin is and why you had his name on your sign.
1: Okay, well, uh, I, I find Benjamin Levin such an important um, person to understand because he really can um, de-pattern and de-program um, a liberal-type mind, like the... or. I call them sheeple, <laughs> um, it, because it's it's undeniable. So Benjamin Levin, he's now 70 years old, but back in uh, 2013, he was charged, he was, he was the top education minister in Ontario, so the top teacher in Ontario, and he wrote the sexual education curriculum under the Kathleen Wynne Liberal Cabinet. So he was charged with one count of possession of child pornography, one count of production of child pornography, and one count of counseling sexual assault. Apparently, there was seven charges, but these were the three charges that he pled guilty to. So he created a profile. This is where his downfall started happening, and he created a profile on a website called m and he, his profile said that he was a couple, both in the late 50s, with three grown daughters. He frequented the incest chat room and claimed to have um, abused his own daughters and other children as, long, er, as young as 12 years old. Um, oh as I said, he was the Kathleen Wynne Liberal Cabinet top teacher in Ontario. You can't get any higher. He was the Minister of Education. So around 2009... He claims that he was directly responsible for the sexual education curriculum in Ontario. So students as young as six years old were learning about consent and other types of, you know, um, sexual situation, right? So so, um, his curriculum had been embedded within the 2010 uh, sexual education curriculum, which actually didn't get taught. But around 2015, it was still, there was was parts of that in the 2015 uh, sexual education curriculum, and it's still being taught to this day. So there's stuff that he wrote, or at least approved for sure, that are being taught in there. So um, I want everybody to know, though, that there is an option to opt out of that for your children. So that's important. all the more reason to homeschool their kids if that sickness is being taught officially. If you can get your children out of the public education system, do it for sure. Yep. Yeah. So he uh, he was charged. He got uh, sentenced in 2018. He got sentenced to three years. He served two and a half months in prison, and he was out. Right. So that's that's the kind of court system that we're dealing with. Um, you know, now, it's I'm,
0: interesting I'm you mentioned. This guy, because it's not uncommon to have people at that level. As a matter of fact, you know, the Queen's own constitutional advisor um, it was, was a member of this thing called Pi in England, pedophile information okay. in the exchange. This guy, uh, Judge Fulford, advocated publicly removing all age of consent. So in other words, you can have sex with a two-year-old and it'll be legal. Okay, they're at the mm. highest level of power, these sickos, right? And That's, uh, how, they, I, I, that's how they get there, yeah. Right. Now, Benjamin Levin, the whole thing about the court system, um, you were uh, one of the judges in your case, a guy called Ronald Marion, and um, he has the same background to Benjamin Levin. He was a former school trustee. He was head of all school trustees for Ontario, the Niagara region, and also for the whole province. And he's tied very closely to Kathleen Wynne, as is Justin Trudeau. There's this infamous picture of, of Trudeau sitting with the premier Kathleen Wynne and Benjamin Levin. All together, all buddies sitting there, right?
1: Yeah, I've seen it. It's, it, it makes you wonder how, uh, how these people get into power. But if you, if you know and understand the backgrounds of these uh, elites and how they're all connected... Right. Um, it turns out actually that Benjamin Levin also went to Harvard oh yeah so that yeah. you know so did uh, Ted Kaczynski right <laughs> and um, oh, of course there's a couple other things I wanted to touch on too that just kind of yeah. came out here as well Kevin if you don't mind go ahead okay so just recently um, May 10th In Toronto, the RCMP's Toronto North Transnational Organized Crime Unit and York Regional Police Officer Constable Yassif Israel Main Monter. He was charged with four counts of trafficking in persons, forgery, animal cruelty, three counts of possession of a prohibited device. This just happened. So... He was in one of the Toronto uh, RCMP elite um, units. You know these guys aren't messing right. around, and, and he just got charged. So I'm, I'll be following that case closely. And another point I wanted to not to smear these people because you're innocent until proven guilty, but um, they're they're kind of factual at this point and public knowledge. So the other one back in April 10th of 2017, a Toronto police officer named Michael Alister Thompson overdosed on fentanyl, and he was a member of the Toronto Drug Squad. So um, I'm not saying all police are bad, and I'm not saying, uh, you know, it's all corrupt, but there's elements within all our, you know, all, all our um, official uh, government that, you know, they're they're corrupt and they are criminal. So I think right, we really have to pay attention to these cases and hold hold their supervisors and other people who, you know, they're under their supervisory. Nope. Um, we, we have to hold these people accountable, and we really need a citizen's um, oversight or just like we're leading, like you are leading the way on a, a new republic that's led by citizenship. Because we also know about Robert Picton who is out in right. British nope. Columbia, who has a lot of ties to the Vancouver police. And his Oh yeah. Sister, well, that, Linda, here's the
0: thing. If you could jump in, because we're going to take a break in a few minutes to kind of, you know, often we we're, when we're bringing out a lot of heavy stuff, we we just take a few minutes break listening to something else. But I won't do that in a, in four minutes. But um, one thing you mentioned about bad elements. Now, you see, the, for me, the question isn't why are there individual sickos. The question is why they're protected. It's the system that's the problem, not just individuals. You know, with the residential school genocide, it wasn't bad priests. It was a policy saying you protect the murderers. So this is coming from the very top, and that's why the whole system's got to be replaced. And I want to talk to you about that in the second half of the show, about your experience now in the court system, what you're facing, and what some alternatives could be within a new republic, a common law court system. How do the people not simply hold people accountable, but get rid of that system altogether so there won't be need of accountability because the people will control it? And, and I wanted to get into that um, a little bit. If you don't mind, Kevin, we're going to just take a short break. Listen to something. It's only a five-minute clip, but I thought it was really relevant uh, with all the war hysteria going on. This is a beautiful um, speech that a guy called Eugene Debs gave in 1918 uh, when he was on trial for telling soldiers not to fight in that war. And we're going to listen to that now. Come back, take a little break from this, and we'll jump right back into everything you're, you're talking about.
1: After Woodrow Wilson had been elected president on a pledge that he would not go to war, uh, the United States declared war and entered the sort of slaughterhouse going on in Europe. Socialists opposed this. The socialist leader, Eugene Debs, in uh, June of 1918, made a speech in Canton, Ohio, uh, about the war. He was uh, sent to prison uh, for 10 years. approved by the unanimous Supreme Court. This is the speech that led to his imprisonment.
2: Sam Johnson declared that patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel. He must have had the Wall Street gentry in mind, or at least their prototypes, for in every age, it has been the tyrant, the oppressor, and the exploiter who has wrapped himself in the cloak of patriotism or religion or both to deceive and overawe the people. Every solitary one of these aristocratic conspirators and would-be murderers Claims to be an arch-patriot. Every one of them insists that the war is being waged to make the world safe for democracy. What humbug! What rot! What false pretense! Wars throughout history have been waged for conquest and plunder. In the Middle Ages, where the feudal lords concluded to enlarge their domains, to increase their power, their prestige, and their wealth, they declared war upon one another. But they themselves did not go to war any more than the modern feudal lords, the barons of Wall Street, go to war. the feudal barons of the middle ages the economic predecessors of the capitalists of our day declared all wars and their miserable serfs fought all the battles the poor ignorant serfs had been taught to revere their masters to believe that when their masters declared war upon one another it was their patriotic duty to fall upon one another and to cut one another's throats for the profit and the glory of the lords and barons who held them in contempt. And that is war in a nutshell. The master class has always declared the wars. The subject class has always fought the battles. The master class had everything to gain and nothing to lose, while the subject class has had nothing to gain and everything to lose, especially their lives. They have always taught you and trained you to believe it to be your patriotic duty to go to war and to have yourself slaughtered at their command. But in all the history of the world, The people have never had a voice in declaring war. And strange as it certainly appears, no war by any nation in any age has ever been declared by the people. The working class who fight all the battles, the working class who make the supreme sacrifices, the working class who freely shed their blood and furnish the corpses, have never yet had a voice in either declaring war or making peace. It is the ruling class that invariably does both. They alone declare war, and they alone make peace. Yours not to reason why, yours just to do or die. That is their motto, and we object on the part of the awakening workers of this nation if war is right let it be declared by the people
0: that was a uh, speech of Eugene Debs 1918 but how relevant right i mean it ne- it never changes we're hearing the uh, rattling of swords about the ukraine the crap you see all the time war propaganda and We say right now to every soldier on either side, there are no sides, there's only the people, and then there's the aristocrats of wealth. And so anyway, it's relevant, Kev, to everything we're talking about, because the same system says, you don't have the right to protest. We're going to make up the laws, we're going to jail you whenever we like, you know, etc. So I I think we all have to keep in mind that this is, everything we're talking about today is part of this bigger struggle. And, um, yeah, your thoughts on that or, or on... Your situation now and and in the courts and,
1: and what we do about it, the big picture here. Well, that was a powerful speech right there. Wow. And, yeah, it, it, it's funny uh, how uh, history repeats, you know, if we don't understand it. So, um, yeah, well, uh, you mentioned Ronald Marion. So that's that's the current judge that will be uh, prosecuting or, or uh, you know, judging over um, uh, the our court case. And it turns out that uh, we aren't being tried individually. We're being tried as a group. And I, I mean, I'm not super familiar with uh, Canadian, you know, court. But um, that seems pretty strange to me. So uh, Chief Justice Jeffrey B. Morowitz is the one who um, originally signed off on the uh, Ontario Support, uh, Superior Court of Justice injunction. For Windsor, so um, I think you were saying that this this judge um, Ronald Marion makes like three to four times the amount of most judges in Ontario. So that kind of tells you something. Average right salary there.
0: for an Ontario judge ninety five thousand six hundred. He makes three hundred and sixteen thousand five hundred, which is nearly four times. The amount of a judge and he's only been on the bench since 2013 so what gives here i mean obviously he has an inside track and he's he's getting paid off by somebody
1: yeah so so yeah it's like uh sleeping in the devil's cradle you know so um right. so yeah basically Well, another interesting thing there. about him he was born,
0: he was born in cornwall ontario and grew up there got his education there now cornwall ontario is one of the hotspots of child trafficking children going missing, cross-border human trafficking. I think it's a coincidence. He was, that's where he, he grew up. Anyway, carry on.
1: Yeah, well, it's it, it's scary to, to see, you know, and I, I, I referenced uh, that, that RCMP officer that just got charged with trafficking, you know. So right. I think, um, well, here's what I fr- say to my friends sometimes, like, if you if you and I ever thought about taking a, sh- a boatload of uh, illicit drugs anywhere out of this country, we'd probably be arrested before we hung up the phone or, <laughs> you know, said goodbye huh? to each other. But, you know, Paul Martin, um, the former Canadian prime minister, has one of the, b- the biggest shipping, importing, exporting companies in the world, right? Definitely. I'm glad Canada's you mentioned it. Number one. I'm glad you mentioned him.
0: He was one of the people, you know, the Piggy's Palace, the disappearance of women on the West Coast, Native women. They, they hung it all on, on Willie and his brothers, Dave. Um, Paul Martin, this is a, from um, a, a thesis operative who spoke with me, and um, he infiltrated Piggy's Palace. He saw Paul Martin there, uh, and Larry Campbell, Canadian senator appointed by Paul Martin. Both of them were present, not uh, the, at the house the Pictons ran, but at a killing zone, uh, it was in a Coquintla mansion, and a lot of these high-class guys would show up, including Paul Martin. Women would die, and then the Pictons disposed of the bodies. So these guys
1: keep turning up like dirty pennies all the time. Wow. Yeah, that's... And, you know, it, it makes sense, right? You don't get in the club unless you're compromised. So, um, so yep. touching on Robert Picton, he has a sister named Linda Wright. So she was delegated to the Star Chamber Authority of the Canadian Privy Council. She registered oh, a, a, a non-profit uh, society called Piggy's Palace Good Times Society. So right, Linda that, Wright, yeah. W-R-I-G-H-T, is Robert Picton's sister, and she was involved with some high politics. So... Um, I'm hoping everybody out there <laughs> has their their pen in their hand and writing this stuff down. Yeah. I guess it's recorded. So, you know, please listen to this stuff there's, again. And- there's, a,
0: there's a summary of this. If people go to murderbydecree.com, section three, it talks about how the crime of genocide keeps going on. And there's testimonies in there of everything you're talking about, the Good time Society and everything. There's six eyewitnesses who were quoted. Um, about the extent of this going on. And, of course, that we're talking the West Coast, where Pope Francis Jorge Bogolio is heading to meet with the Chinese. I mean, it's ongoing crimes. And now let's talk about what we do about it, because I know you're caught up in their, their court system. You don't have to talk about anything about that if you think it might compromise your situation. But tell us briefly your situation now, and let's talk now about what we do about it, all the alternatives through the Republic and law courts.
1: Right, yes. So um, I've had two court appearances, um, and now this week coming up, we have set a pretrial date. Now, against um, my my better thoughts, um, all my friends and family, most of my friends and family, encouraged me to get a lawyer. Somehow I did, because I don't know enough about the common law and I didn't know enough about the Republic of Canada before I did this. So um I just thought if I went in there and tried to say common law or Republic of Canada I you know I'm going to get crucified in there and they're going to make an example out of me. But um so I have a lawyer who's representing me this Wednesday and um I don't know how that's going to go. So Um, uh, I've been listening to your show and, uh, I've known about the Republic of Kanata for probably since its inception or somewhere, I know you started in 2015, but probably somewhere in between then and 2017, I really started paying attention and, um, I just didn't take the initiative and now, um, you know, I'm a dedicated listener and, uh, the more I learn about it, you know, you... Your, your declaration of independence, basically, you know, we can have freedom from debt slavery and freedom from former debts, mortgages, and uh, you know, basically, it's kind of like a jubilee, I, I think.
0: And um,
1: very much. So, but the thing that really attracted it uh, to me is that you actually have cases around the world where you've had citizens use these warrants and arrest people and also yep. shut down a um, um, a vaccine lab, I think. Is that correct? Several. Yeah. So, France, so, so in Cornwall, England, New
0: Zealand, and on the west coast of Canada, we've done that. And harder to arrest people, although did we did detain a couple of lower-level people, but Much easier to shut down facilities using these warrants. We even have police kind of turning a blind eye on a number of occasions. So you know, building the republic is constant war over many generations. But along the way, you we gain small victories, and we like to tell people about those to show that yeah, if you stick together and aren't afraid of these people, you know, and you are on your own when you're when like you say when you're up against these people. But when you mention that all forty-six of you are being charged. That sounds awfully like a criminal conspiracy charge, because you don't do that normally unless they're accusing the whole group of something. And in, in Crown Law, if you're three or more people, and you're talking about doing something that they consider as illegal, it's a criminal conspiracy. And traditionally, you've got the death penalty. They still go for life imprisonment. Now, it's odd, because they're the ones involved in a criminal conspiracy, as we've shown time and again, but... Um, that is ominous when you mention that, and so all the more reason for us to gather support around you now, and even if you've got a lawyer, you know you can step away at any point the The point is that we get people to leave and to stand in our their own jurisdiction within the republic, and then lawfully they can't touch you and um, anyway, we can talk more about that, but that came to mind when you were speaking about the kind of the group indictment
1: yeah, well, so. Um, so I've been heavily involved um, in in this in, in activism since this COVID stuff happened. I knew from day one we aren't going to be able to get out of this without a you know uh, a mass conscious awareness level rising you know as high as it can as fast as it can. So I joined this group who uh, the founder Joe Jacobowski, he found himself in some trouble too. Because he was out protesting, and he's a former police officer, well, he started a group called the Community Support Alliance, the CSA, and it's on Telegram. I encourage anybody listening to to look us up on Telegram, and you can join a local branch or start a local branch. But we're gonna—I'd like to tie this right into the Republic of Canada, because I mean, you need grassroots, um, you know, small towns. And we need to be more organized and have somebody who knows, you know, what our options as far as legal and taking back our hijacked governments, you know, because we shouldn't right. be able to govern ourselves. And, you know, we, we I think I, I told you, I don't believe we've ever had an actual democracy anywhere in the no. world, let alone Canada, you know. Um well, especially not when Canada, I, yeah. Yeah, like when I think of democracy, I think of everybody gets to vote on, you know, what we want or what we don't want. And, you know, we don't get to do that. We get to vote on some corrupt politician doing whatever they want and, you know, we, saying whatever point, they you want. Elect parliament, you take an oath of allegiance to
0: Queen Elizabeth and her descendants, a criminally convicted foreign monarch. They're not, no MP, no judge, no politician is accountable to you. When you talked about accountability, their oath makes them unaccountable. So we say, okay, nullify the oath, take it to the people, otherwise you're not a legitimate authority. And unless we operate on that level, you're still in their jurisdiction, and, and legally you gotta do what they tell you to do, because you're a legal slave in their system. And it isn't just because the capital letters, it's because you're part of their jurisdiction. We've created the alternative now, and that's why you're absolutely right. Groups like the CSA are working with us. We've already recruited citizens out of it. and um, But it's not either or. It's both working together. The republic is all of us built at the grassroots in the way the CSA is doing. We're just giving a bigger perspective and also an international perspective because we're working with groups in other countries that are forming their own sovereign law republics. We're having a July 1st to fourth conference, to unite our actions across borders. So this is our alternative to the global corporatocracy, and it's got to be at the
1: small and the big level all at the same time. Yes. Yeah, what you're doing, Kevin, is so important. And it, it, every every movement starts with the grassroots. You know, it really does. So um, what you're doing, I can't thank you enough, and uh, you have some amazing structure on your website, therepublicofkanata.ca, right? Is that right? .org, but yeah, that's right. So yeah, I encourage everybody to go uh, spend an hour or more on the website, you know, and, and get a hold of Kevin, too. He's really approachable, and uh, um, I kind of knew we'd be talking one day. I just didn't know when or how, Kevin. So I, I appreciate you doing this. And and I'm sure a lot of people do. And we appreciate your courage, brother. And, and, you know, in the last 10
0: or so minutes, I want to ask you, if you could talk a little bit about um, how you see the Republic growing up in your community, ideas you had. I know that you've talked about taking out citizenship, but that, of course, is just the first step. It's forming local cells and assemblies and getting the local people to see they have a vested interest that their lives depend on, you know, joining the Republic and creating self-defense among themselves against
1: things that are only going to get a lot worse, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I encourage everybody to, to you know, call it whatever you want. Just get together with your neighbors and and have, you know, weekly, bi-weekly, monthly meetings and, and, you know, have a backup plan because you know, people like Monty McNaughton and Justin Trudeau, who I call him Crime Minister Blackface, these guys, you know, you wouldn't want them near your your kids, let alone trying to tell you how to live your life, which they're doing, you know. And uh, so what I personally have been uh, talking to some of my CSA members about um, is is taking over or running for the local council. And um, I, I think, you know, the town I'm in uh, doesn't have much over 400 people in it. So this could be a really good opportunity for us to apply, you know, these republic um, ideologies here, because um, it's a small enough town where most everybody knows each other, and uh, the councillors, uh, they seem to be totally against uh, human rights and the Bill of Rights and our Constitution, and, uh, it, you know, the Constitution isn't uh, pro um right anyways it seems contradictory but it's not really it, you know um it it gives the crown and the um the the crooked politicians a lot of power which they don't deserve and so there's going to be three yep. or four of us from our local groups running for town council and we're hoping to to put the power back into the people and uh I don't know exactly how that's gonna work. I've never run for a counselor or any political office at all. But um I think you provide a beautiful framework on your website and in your books as well. And uh you know, like I, I would like to see this idea grow and eventually we can hijack back the system that has been hijacked from us because there's there's a lot of people who feel the same way that you and I do and uh it's really hard to find an avenue or support to 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 be able to figure out you know what the first step is and you you've provided the the first step and you know almost the last step too like we but there's still a lot of growth and a lot of figuring stuff out and there's there's right. a and lot of good resources within everybody's community that, you know, you don't even know about unless you go and and talk to your neighbor or, you know, talk to your friends and have these meetings and, you know, get back to to the 1800s when, you know, we were all building society together, you know.
0: Well, you know, you've described exactly what our strategy is, and this is out of common sense and long experience. You know, we, we've hit so many dead ends trying to work in the system, and, and what we find is that when people can see something in their community that works, then they'll get on board. But people wait to see if there's an alternative, right? And we're not talking at the level of words anymore. We're setting up these alternatives like CSA does, you know, food uh, sharing systems, homeschooling keeping tax money in the community, which is a big thing. We get people to pass motions once they form the Republic Assembly or even cell groups. Pass a motion keeping your federal tax money in the community because you're being robbed. Your federal tax money goes to pay offshore banks. doesn't do anything to help the people. And a criminally convicted regime like Canada doesn't have the right to levy taxes under international law. You're breaking international law when you pay money to the federal government because they're a convicted genocidal regime. So... This is we're armed. The law is on our side and and morality and the numbers are all on our side but people have got to break out of this kind of dependency thinking and the tendency for people to fight each other because I see this in the movement you know, that uh, people form an assembly and then they start falling out immediately and it isn't just ego it's it's fear and it's lack of experience but every time that happens there's a few left over who have learned they become veterans and they carry it on and and I'm I'm just really uh, enthused to hear you say all this because it's people like you who are the local leaders who build a republic on the ground.
1: Yep, it's it, it takes everybody, it takes a community, you know. And uh, I was raised on a farm. I know what hard work is, and I know you know what good people are. And uh, you get into the city, and a lot of the times the people don't even know their own neighbors, you know. So uh we've been um um socially distanced <laughs> almost to death here yep. you know and, and and I think uh that's their their game it's an old MO and it's divide and conquer and we have to you know come together and love you know we have to have understanding and love and compassion and uh and good leadership too because a lot of people are very very comfortable right now but when uh you know you hear by 2030, you'll own nothing and be happy. Well, that you kind of know directly who your enemy is at that point in time. So, right. and that's a, that's a big one. You you quote uh, the Art of War a lot. That's an important book, and it, it gives so much common sense knowledge and skills. You know? That's right. So,
0: Kevin, I want to have you back again to especially talk about your situation in the courts, the work you're going to be doing locally, how it ties in as part of the republic. I'd like to have you back, and in the couple of minutes left, do you have any final word or, or message to anybody in your area about what we need to do next?
1: Well, um, I, I would like to actually point people uh, to some leaders who are out there speaking the truth, and they're, they're international, um, but, I mean, you, you're you number one. Uh, you know, listen to, to Kevin Annette and get his manual, and, and read his books, too. They're important. Um, there's other people that have really opened my mind. And um, Ilana Freeland is one of them. Uh, Sophia Smallstrom. Joseph P. Farrell. There's a guy named uh, Dark Journalist out there. And I'm sure uh, everybody has their favorite people they listen to. But the point is is that we have to be open to information and and. The, the truth, whatever that is, everybody has their own truth. But you have to, you know, find what you believe makes most sense to you and apply it to figuring out this this gray goo of of confusion and chaos, you know. We hear order out of chaos. That's what these people right. thrive on. So we have I'm, to, you know... I want to thank you. We've run out of time, unfortunately. We
0: only have an hour, but... Um... Thank you, and we'll have you on again. You're an inspiration, I know, to many people on the ground just fighting back. And uh, thank you for being with us today.
1: Thank you, sir. It's an honor and a a privilege.
0: Okay, brother. We'll talk to you again. Okay. That was Kevin Dervisher from southern Ontario, a leader in uh, this whole campaign. And we'll be having him and other citizens of the Republic coming back soon to talk more about the local work they're doing, to remind folks, stand by for the announcement coming out all over the world tomorrow about the Stop the Pope Coalition, and this will be a chance for people to practice independence and liberty on the ground, stopping a foreign killer who's going to be killing again when he meets with the Chinese. He's a predator on native children. We've proven that for a fact. Stop this man. Join the Stop the Pope Coalition. Write to ICTCCS office at ProtonMail.com, stand by tomorrow at RepublicOfCanada.org under breaking news for more of that announcement. You can write to me personally, Kevin Annett, Eagle Strongboys at Angelfire101 at ProtonMail.com. This is the kind of work I do on the ground with people all over, building the grassroots republic. You're all part of that. So follow our work, RepublicOfCanada.org, MurderByDecree.com, and we're going to end on a inspiring song called Bella Ciao. It's from the Italian resistance against fascism during World War II. We'll be back next week. Stay strong, stay clear. Thank you, everyone.